Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. And today for the intro, you get the full crew, Tim, Josh, what's going on? And we're going to start with that. I was going to actually jump in, you know. No, man, things are going well. Beautiful day. I got my bike all fixed up. Got that thing out of the garage after. It's been about a year because like with pandemic and everything, mm-hmm. it just sat. So mm-hmm. getting back on the bike, that was fun. Yeah, this whole uh, getting back to not having to wear masks everywhere thing has been pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, we have like a just a couple of days left, and then it's it's back to it's quote unquote Vax normal. To millions? Did that happen today? Oh, that's tomorrow. tomorrow? Yeah, did you did you uh, enter up. to win? Did you I'm enter a, to win, Josh? I'm entered. I entered. Yeah. Are we all gonna win a yeah. million dollars for you getting guys, vaccinated? You guys want to do a conquering Columbus? Split the pot. If anybody wins, we split it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and obviously. You can, and you can split my side effects. My secondary uh, question is, can I, I win twice? Shot. Yeah, I want right? to know, can I win twice? Like, if I win the first one, is my name pulled from the rest of the drawings? I got two shots, so I better get two shots. Two drawings. At, yeah, two drawings. Yeah, Josh has only got one, so he's only getting half a drawing. Did you better believe if you, you win twice, you, there's harm from me coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to give you the vaccine again. Right. But uh, yeah, so today on the show, we've got Dr. Rustin Morris. He's the uh, chief medical officer over at Nationwide Children's Hospital and... Uh, Tim wasn't there, but Josh and I were. It was a really fun interview. Dr. Morse just, uh, you know, had a lot of, he's just done a lot of stuff. Uh, I think he came out here from Phoenix at one point. He was in Phoenix for a little bit and got the chance to come out and work at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And he took it and he's been there ever since. And he's been really excited about it. So you can really tell the passion for what he does came through in the interview. Yeah, he's really excited to talk to. I mean, you could, his energy levels and uh, just who he was as a person, he's just a very unique individual. You don't find a lot of people like him. And uh, I think it shines through in our discussion with him and his approach to walking into these different environments that he's been a part of and and how he's sought to optimize them and grow them and just focus on people. So uh, I think definitely the the listenership uh, will get a lot of valuable lessons out of his story. And any episode that I'm not on is probably the best episode. So they'll probably enjoy this one. (laughs) Yeah. And with that, uh, we'll be right back. So hope you enjoy this episode. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24 Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host Mike. There's Josh over there and as you know, well this is the show. Josh, how you doing? We got to work on how awkward you make these openings. I know. It's kind of a theme now though, so I kind of want to keep it going, you know. You got to give the people what they expect, which is me Butchering an opening. Just a verbal train wreck. Verbal train wreck. But hey, you know, it's uh, Thursday evening and I got my vaccine last week. So I'm feeling good. I think I mentioned that in the last one though. So maybe I'm repeating myself already. 
You're going to tell them the phase of the moon, too? It's like, just <laughs> it's go, a, go The moon into, is a waxing gibbous Go today. into the introduction right. for the love of everything. We'll get we'll get out of here. We'll go right to the intro of our guest. And that is Dr. Rustin Morse. And he is the chief medical officer at Nationwide Children's Hospital. As CMO, Dr. Morse leads key operational areas such as clinical care and medical education. He also guides programs like their quality and safety program, Zero Hero. More on that to come. And Dr. Morse is also a faculty member at The Ohio State University College of Medicine, and he serves on the National Clinical Steering Committee for Solutions for Patient Safety, as well as the Quality and Safety Committee of the Board of Trustees for the Children's Hospital Association. We're really excited to have Dr. Morris on the show today to talk about his story and everything they have going on at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rustin. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Nice to be with you. Yeah, it's, it's great to be with you, too. And I couldn't help but notice you've kind of got a little bit of a Bill Nye look going on with the, the bow tie and I, I, I love it. I love bow ties. And it just seems like as soon as you walked in the room, I'm like, this guy seems just kind of happy and warm. So it's been it's been great talking to you so far. I appreciate it. And I'm not always the bow tie guy, but I do like to wear them occasionally. And I, too, am fully vaccinated. There you go. Well, one of the first places we like to start is just get a little bit more background on yourself and your story. So some of our guests start as far back as childhood, right, and go through the major highlights. But whatever you think were kind of the big stepping stones along the way, feel free to take it away and share. Did you grow up in Central Ohio or, or where did you grow up? That's a good no, place to start. No, that's great. I, I grew up on Long Island in New York and um, my story is a little different. I, I didn't always want to be a doctor. This I never would have envisioned this is where my life would have led me to. So I wasn't very academic in high school. I probably had attention deficit. I didn't pay attention. I wasn't hyperactive, but I had zero academic interest. But I, went, I grew up in a place where everyone basically went to a four-year college. And I took the PSATs. I didn't do well. And that was like an awakening moment for me. I started to think, if I'm going to go to college, I need to change things. And in fact, I had teachers telling my parents, you know, you should find a trade school for Rustin. He's not going to go to college. And I had an aptitude for math. So I started applying myself with math and did quite well. But I had no verbal skills. I couldn't really write. I couldn't read. So my SAT scores were terrible. My math was double what my verbal score was. And I got into a, a couple of schools in New York and my parents said I could go to a state school in New York. So I went to a small state school in upstate New York called Oswego. And it is most famous for Al Roker being the most famous graduate. Mm. And the most famous dropout from there is Jerry Seinfeld. Mm. So I got to Oswego and I thought academics is not going to hold me back. I'm going to study as much as I can. I frankly had to learn how to learn, um, but I applied myself 100% to the time and effectively it graduated with a 4.0 from there. I had one B. And I thought I'd be a math teacher. My father was a phys ed teacher for New York City Board of Education and teaching seemed like the route to go and I'll be a math teacher. But in my first semester there, I started volunteering on an ambulance corps that they had. And I was driving the ambulance. And if you have lived in a place with a lot of traffic, and I know, Mike, you said you had lived in San Diego, mm -hmm. the idea of turning on lights and sirens and getting everyone else to move out of your way was exhilarating. So I was driving the ambulance and absolutely loved that. And I thought that might actually be my career for life. I thought I could drive the ambulance the rest of my life. But I started thinking pragmatically about what I wanted long-term and, and what I was going to do. And I honestly had to consider what the income potential was driving the ambulance. And over the summer, I volunteered in an emergency department. Someone said, you might like an emergency department. And I volunteered in an emergency department back on Long Island. And I fell in love with the adrenaline and excitement of emergency medicine. And I started thinking, wow, maybe I'll go to medical school and I'll become an emergency department physician. But I didn't tell anyone that. I went back to college. I 
worked hard for my sophomore year and still got A's. And then I began to think this could be a realistic dream. I remember telling my parents and they appropriately laughed hysterically. Um, but between my sophomore year and junior year, I needed to play catch up and take organic chemistry, which I did and I did well in that. And then started put, applying myself towards my uh, MCATs. And long story short, I got into multiple medical schools and chose to go to Syracuse, which was a state university school to keep tuition down. I studied in medical school and decided actually, I really preferred to take care of children over adults, but I did want to do emergency medicine. So I decided I would go the route of doing pediatrics for three years and then doing three years of pediatric emergency medicine. So I did my residency at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh for three years, my fellowship in Chicago at uh, what is now Lurie Children's, it used to be Children's Memorial in pediatric emergency medicine for three years, and then took my first job, my first official adult job at the age of like 30, at Phoenix Children's Hospital in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was a brand new children's hospital. It had not really been built yet. It was a floor or two of another hospital and we were building a freestanding building. And I was going to get in on the ground floor. And I wanted to do that because I had an interest in leadership. I actually wanted to run the emergency department, but there was already a leader there. I was going to be the second or third person joining the team. So I get down to Phoenix and we're opening the emergency department and things aren't going right. I mean, it's a brand new place and I've never opened up a brand new operation, but things don't go right when you start a new business, so to speak. Hmm. So I remember day one seeing patients asking for a tongue depressor and someone handed me a popsicle stick. Like the popsicle sticks you would glue together to build a house as a child in camp. With like the little riddles and the clues on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. almost that's almost fun until you realize this isn't this isn't appropriate. Correct. And and so, you know, I I started getting involved in operations and fixing things. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew things had to change and I started working on processes to improve things. And over time there, I got a reputation for being able to lead initiatives and get things across and execute on things. And then they hired their first chief medical officer and he hired me as his medical director for quality. I didn't know what that meant. He got me formal training in quality from Intermountain Healthcare. And he hooked me up with a couple of mentors. He told me I needed to do research and he helped me with a research project. He shared I needed to get another degree. I thought, frankly, having an MD was enough. I didn't realize I needed to go back to school, but I went back to school and got a master's in medical management from the University of Southern California, which is kind of like a mini MBA for physicians. Mm -hmm. It's an entrepreneurial degree. Um, and, and then doors started opening for me and I had the opportunity to look at a position in Dallas as chief quality officer. I never thought we'd leave Arizona. I was really enjoying living there. It's sunshine 360 days a year. It's almost the same as Columbus, uh, except they had palm trees. Hmm. So, um, but, but this was an opportunity to move to Dallas that I could not resist to join a major children's hospital, Children's Health and Children's Medical Center Dallas as their chief quality officer. And we moved the family there, spent eight years there. My kids are teenagers. Um, almost uh, maybe 15 months ago, I heard from the prior CMO at Nationwide Children's Hospital that he would be retiring. I didn't fathom taking his place. He's a legend in the field. I frankly didn't think I could fill his shoes, um, but I, he asked if I would look at this position. I threw my name into the hat. I was offered an interview and I remember telling my wife, I'm gonna look at this job, but, but don't worry, we're not moving to Ohio. Mm. I, I'm not even sure where Columbus is. And then I absolutely fell in love with the idea of being on the nationwide children's team. And it was an easy, easy decision when I had the opportunity to move here. And 
join Nationwide Children's as Chief Medical Officer. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I could not be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So when you describe your story, it sounds so seamless and like everything flew together so naturally, and I'm sure there was a lot of bumps along the road and, and maybe some, some maybe not, but maybe times of uncertainty and doubt and, and excitement. As you look back, though, the one thing that I'm uh, particularly curious about is you talked about that individual had picked you, I believe it was the CMO of the hospital that you were with at the time, and then gave you mentorship and brought you under his or her wing. Uh, what, what do you think it was about you that really stuck out that said, Dr. Morse is the one that I want to choose? There are always bumps in the road, right? But I think what, what strikes me as I look back at my career is my willingness and flexibility. I mean, I moved around, I took opportunities, I took advantage of things that came my way. I was open-minded to different opportunities. When I was working at Phoenix Children's Hospital, I made it clear that I wanted to run the emergency department. I'd moved up in the leadership, but there was a cap. I mean, there was someone above me who was not leaving. And and I had jokingly said to people, it wasn't really joking, to be honest, I, I would lead anything. So I would be happy to lead environmental services. I think leadership is really about who you are as a person and as a leader. And it doesn't really matter what the team is that you're leading. And I, I've led teams that I have no knowledge about. I have led safety teams and climbed up on ladders to go above ceilings to look at firewall penetrations, not knowing at all what that is, but being willing to learn, but I could lead people. So I think that I developed a reputation of getting things done, being aspirational, being open-minded and willing to take on anything and being willing to lead teams. So I think that's what probably got me that initial opportunity. And maybe if I can double click on that one, what does leading people mean to you? To me, it's being a servant leader. I, I am 100% deeply committed to my people and my team, and I'll do anything for them. And so it's understanding what where they want to go with their lives, and that may be aspirational for them. They may want to grow. They may want to expand their boundaries. But I can also think about plenty of people I've led who are very content doing what they do and don't want to take on more responsibilities, don't want to move up the corporate ladder but they just want to excel at their job. My, my job in my mind is to bring the best out of people, to remove obstacles, to allow them to excel and to take care of them. So I, I care about my people. I want them to be happy. I want them to be content, if not overjoyed coming to work. And I, I really want them to have a great work-life balance, whatever that means for them. Mm -hmm. So I can think back in my career where someone would say, I don't walk by the CEO's office when I leave. I don't want him or her to know I'm, I'm leaving early. And I would tell my people, you can come by my office and tell me you're leaving early to go to your child's soccer game. And I'll say, that's great. I mean, if you're doing the job, I don't really care how much time you're here. You figure it out. Because I know when push comes to shove, and it has at times, never push comes to shove, but it has at times where I've needed to ask people to help out and do things. And I know with 100% certainty, my team has my back and they'll do whatever we need to do to get things done for the team. So I don't want to take us too much down a psychological rabbit hole, but I think that's really interesting because when I think about my own, like being in that same situation and trying to, it's almost like letting go, right? And saying, okay, I'm really going to trust that the people I put in place are going to get it done. Uh, but there's a sense of vulnerability there maybe. 
as you look into that, what do you think it is about you? Do you just have an immense trust in people or do you just feel like you hire really well? Well, so I think it's a combination of things. So you don't always get to hire your entire team. You, mm-hmm. you start out with a team and you can mold it over time. So um, I have learned, like like we all have who are in leadership positions, that your greatest success is in hiring. And yeah. if you make a bad <laughs> hiring decision, you will pay for that dearly for a long time. And it's, time, it's hard to recover from that. It takes time and effort. But I, I think more importantly, uh, over time, I have learned that I am not as good as a team together. So I've learned the lesson that if I'm the rate limiting step, if I'm the bottleneck, if it has to be all my creativity, it won't be as good a product as the other people who work with me and, and for me or next to me. So it's understanding that that the best work comes from teams. Uh, it may not be exactly the way I wanted it. It may look a little different, but there are little things that come out that that people contribute that if you're open to hearing it, in general, the overall product is much better. So there is trust. And, and I also know people make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I will never get upset at someone who works with me or for me who makes a mistake. It, it, it's, you know, we learn from it. We take a step back. We understand. We dissect the situation. We move forward. But if you can have that positive attitude and supportive nature, you'll get the best out of people. Yeah, I think that another part of this is, you know, when you mentioned servant leadership, and I think part of servant leadership is, you know, trusting your people to get the job done and letting them own it. And I found that if I'm sticking my finger in it and asking what's going on and, hey, why'd you do this this way? And really kind of on someone about a project, they tend to just kind of throw it back at me and be like, well, why don't, why don't you just do it? Right. Like if you're going to, if you're going to question everything I do. It's hard not to dig into that, right? Because especially if it's an important project, you're like, man, I really need to make sure this gets done right. But but by giving them more space and making them feel like they own the project, they actually take more responsibility for it. Correct. And and I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and what I'll often do is say that let's agree upon an outcome, what we want this to look like, and let's agree upon a timetable. And I won't pressure you. I'm here to help you. So you have to let me know if you're struggling to get to that outcome at that desired time, then let's reset expectations or let's bring more resources to the table. But let's just agree upon, if we can agree upon where we're going and how long it's gonna take to get there, I'm gonna back off and just let you run with it. And, and you know, people will make mistakes. I mean, that's life, but that's how you grow and learn. We're only human. We're gonna take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So take us through, what does the day-to-day of a chief medical officer look like? You know, I I think that's a hard question because it probably varies. I I don't want to speak for all chief medical officers and every position is different. My typical day, I'm in by 6.30, 6.15, 6.30 in the morning. It gives me time to open up my email and catch up on things and prioritize my day and and get some work done before the meetings start, which is typically around seven in the morning. I spend probably five to six hours of my day in meetings focused on How do I advance the agenda around quality and safety? My goal is to provide, to help provide the best care we can at the hospital. Now, I'm not necessarily the one providing the care, though I do still see patients in the emergency department, but how do we, from a process and system and culture perspective, ensure that we provide the highest quality, safest, most effective and efficient care for our patients and their families? 
So it's, it's focused on initiatives in those areas. It's focused on looking at when things don't go right and learning from those things and putting in better processes and systems. It's focused on addressing culture. And then I spend, you know, uh, more time than I wish doing emails like we all do and mm. putting out fires and dealing with acute issues that come up. And then I try to allocate a reasonable amount of time where I can just think where I can really sit and think strategically about what needs to get done and how do I prioritize things. There's ample opportunities for improvement everywhere, but where do I want to put my efforts and our resources to prioritize the right initiatives going forward? If I think about a business and the product and service, the thing that makes me so respect people that are doing business in the medical space so much is that the product and service is extremely sophisticated and complicated. But not only that, you're delivering it to people. And usually the most complex part of business is the people. So like, it's like people on top of people on top of complex service. I feel like it's gotta be uh, probably one of the hardest places, if not the hardest place to run a business in the world. So to transition this into where I'm going from a question standpoint, I'm curious when you walk in on a daily basis, there's probably a million different ways you could, you could focus your attention. And you can only put out so many fires at one point in time and solve so many problems in a day. Uh, and it probably varies for you on a regular basis on how you choose what problems you solve. But how do you approach that on a morning basis or a weekly basis? Like, this is where I'm going to put my time and attention and energy. Yeah, I mean, so so the, the stepping back to that initial comment you had, I, I think healthcare is incredibly complex. And we try to think about healthcare in the terms of high reliability principles and high reliability organizations. And those types of organizations have fewer than their share of catastrophic mishaps, considering the complexity of their operations. And some common high reliability organizations are things like commercial aviation, which hasn't had a crash in the U.S. commercial aviation since, I think, 2010, maybe 2012 and then nuclear power plants and aircraft carriers. Healthcare to me is so much more complex than that because we're dealing with biological organisms that don't necessarily behave the same way a machine would behave. And we have, as you said, human to human interactions. I think the greatest asset we have at Nationwide Children's Hospital and really all hospitals, but it's really special at Nationwide Children's Hospital is our staff. It's our physicians and our staff. That's what makes us exceptional. So I focus a lot on process and systems and also culture because I want people to be very comfortable speaking up if anything is at risk. I don't, it can be the housekeeper. It, it can certainly be a nurse. Anyone who sees something should say something because we all play a role. It's one team and we're focused on the patient. So in a sense, my day is a bit easier because I trust that we have 14,000 employees and a team that's really focused on what's most important, which is the child and the patient and family in front of them. So, so most of my day, fortunately, is not putting out fires. I mean, issues come up and, and I get involved, but it is on you know, thinking proactively about where are we going with certain initiatives and, and, and how are we going to move forward on different types of initiatives. So my calendar is packed with various meetings around specific initiatives that we have ongoing where we're touching base and saying, how do we move forward? And then in between, I'm dealing with acute issues or more acute situations that come up. So you mentioned there's a focus on initiatives and different projects you guys are working on. We mentioned Zero Hero earlier as one mm -hmm. of your initiatives. What what exactly is Zero Hero? So Zero Hero started back in 2010, 2010, and it was by my predecessor, Dr. Richard Brilly, and he was the chief medical officer. And he had a vision uh, for this organization that we could eliminate preventable harm in patients. And that was aspirational, wild, crazy thoughts back in 
2010. I mean, that, that's not what people were thinking. People were thinking children get hurt, mistakes happen, and there are safety issues in hospitals. That's just the nature of it. But he revolutionized and changed the entire industry and started this process. And he marketed it called Zero Hero here at Nationwide Children's Hospital. So it started here in Columbus, Ohio. And then now we've got 140 plus children's hospitals across the US and in Canada who have all bought into this idea that we can eliminate preventable harm in children by providing safer care. So it really is around empowering frontline staff to speak up if they see something. It's putting the right processes in place to reduce the risks of injuries. And what injuries am I talking about? So we have things like falls, simple things where a child falls, but but if you fall in a hospital and, and you're on a blood thinner, you can have a bleed in the brain and a stroke. So falls can be significant issues. We have things like infections that we know if we provide the proper care in the hospital, we can reduce those risks of infections. So those types of things, and then more serious things that we call serious safety events, where a patient might get the wrong medication and it could potentially kill them. And we know that mistakes and errors occur in hospitals and patients get hurt. But but obviously we're dealing with very, very special patients who can't protect themselves, and these are children, and we've got to do the best we can to minimize that risk, if not eliminate it. So that's zero hero. And I think it is the foundation of our quality program at Nationwide Children's. And it galvanizes everyone to make sure we say, create a safe day every day. I want every employee coming to Nationwide Children's every single day to think safety is our top priority and to know they play a role in not only keeping patients and families safe, but keeping each other safe. JME Hospitality, your hospitality design partner. JME Hospitality works with food service facility owners, operators, and development pros to improve the overall efficiency of customer experience and the profitability of customer operations. JME has been consulting in the hospitality operations space for over 45 years, providing solutions for schools and universities, healthcare institutions, hotels, resorts, and more. They also have extensive experience working within the design, construction, and manufacturing sectors. JME specializes in helping with a variety of different problems, including the COVID effect, redesigning the customer experience to protect their clients and the public during the pandemic. JME is passionate about serving the community you live in. They're doing this by supporting cancer research as well as youth outreach. And JME is offering a free consultation to all Conquering Columbus listeners. Just visit jmehospitality.com. That's jmehospitality.com. And mention the Conquering Columbus podcast to receive your free consultation. You've mentioned empowering employees and staff to speak up a few times. It sounds like psychological safety is a pretty important part of this. Yeah, it has to be because we have we have a, a hierarchy just by the nature that we have physicians working in a hospital who are exceptionally trained and well-educated and they're, at, they're the captain of the ship and they have to be the captain of the ship. So, you know, here I am a 50 plus year old physician working in the emergency department and I might be working with a nurse who's 22. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't get that psychological safety and empower the nurse to be able to speak up and there might be a gender difference. And if we don't have that psychological safety where I understand, respect and empower everyone around me to help me work as a team to protect a patient, then we have mistakes. And I'll share a story from last week. It's a completely true story. I'm working in the emergency department and I'm seeing a patient uh, who has vomiting and uh, it, it 
we're going to admit the patient for the vomiting. I did some tests and a nurse calls me and says, hey, the child's head looks a little big. Um, you know, I plotted it on the growth chart and it looks big. And so thanks for letting me know. I look at the growth chart and she's right. The head didn't look big to me. I mean, head looked fine to me, but she, she saw something I didn't see. We ended up doing imaging and the child has something in their head, a brain injury that we need to take care of acutely. That completely changed the trajectory of the care I was going to provide. The child still got admitted, but things went differently because that nurse saw something, felt comfortable and spoke up. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about journey to best outcomes at Nationwide Children's, it's that type of interactions that gets us there. How do you continue to be an evangelist for that and and, uh, promote acts like that across the organization? Do you just put a spotlight on something like that? I think so. So we, we celebrate those things. We tell those stories. I, I have a weekly newsletter that goes out. I shared that this past week in the newsletter to thank and highlight that nurse's uh, courage. We also do, we, we incorporate things called uh, safety moments quite frequently in the day. We have a daily safety call where we'll ask for a safety moment where you can highlight something that went right, or you can highlight something that went wrong, or you can highlight something where there's an opportunity. So we're constantly positioning safety as a priority. We start our board meetings with a safety report. So safety is always front and center, and we highlight the people, we call them zero heroes, you know, the people who do the acts or use the tools that are designed to keep patients safe. And it's zero hero because you're striving for zero safety instances, Yeah, so we want zero preventable harm or the safest care possible or zero defects in my mind. So how do we make things consistent, high reliability, like the aviation, commercial aviation industry. And and where and again, where I made that comment, it's so much more complex in healthcare. So, you know, commercial aviation manages to take a plane, get it off the ground and land it safely, which is quite remarkable. And I know you said your father was a fighter jet pilot. However, commercial aviation does not get the bags there on time and the food mm-hmm. on the airplane isn't very good and the bathrooms are dirty after you're on a flight for three hours. So we have in healthcare, it's not simply that we got the patient out alive. We have to not only you know keep the patient alive, but we've got to make sure we have no mistakes along the way that affect the patient. So it's, that's why it's so much more complex to me than, mm-hmm. than landing, landing the airplane in a commercial airplane. And I can't close the airport. I mean, the airport's closed for weather, the hospital stays open. Talk about managing that throughout COVID-19. How, how did that affect you and how did you balance it? And that was probably right in the, in the midst of when you were starting. Yeah, so I, it's interesting because I had the experience in my prior hospital and then I came here. So it's interesting just to compare and contrast in my head the difference. I, COVID-19 is a game changer, obviously, for everyone. We didn't see it in healthcare coming. Obviously, no one did. It was a dramatic experience to, you know, suddenly honestly be fearful for your life and and the safety of your colleagues because early on we did not know enough about it we're still learning we didn't exactly know how how it was spread and and what protective equipment we needed globally speaking for healthcare we didn't have enough protective personal equipment we didn't have enough masks so it was very very unnerving early on i think it taught us a lot about managing during uncertainty and having to make decisions when you have a, a lack of complete information. I, I think in a sense, as an emergency physician, I'm suited for that because that's my life. I don't have a complete picture. I can't wait for all the details. I have to make decisions with an incomplete picture. When I arrived here, everything was very much under control. We're very fortunate to have an exceptional chief epidemiologist, Dr. Matt Washam, uh, here in town. He he um, 
has led our COVID uh, initiative and our our precautions from day one. He's thoughtful. He's smart. He's he doesn't get rattled. He comes up with very good decisions. And I think the way the team at Nationwide Children's, the leadership team works, we, we talk about one team values. We believe that we have to function as one team and we do function as one team. And that plays out in the COVID situation. So, you know, it's a relatively small group of people who get together to make the key decisions and it's made by consensus. No one, we don't get to a point unless all of us are on the same page and in agreement. And if we can't quite get there on an issue and it's not urgent, we put it aside and we let it mature and then we bring it back up and we work until we get there. So I think that the high functioning team at Nationwide Children's, a leadership team, made the COVID situation much more manageable than it could have been. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza or anything. I don't think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's what I was going to say. As soon as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best we're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too. So yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. Mm-hmm. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee. And then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events right now. They're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far. That's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I promise you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. When you talk and in the way you represent yourself, you seem incredibly calm. And I imagine that, you know, some of the other uh, high performing people in the medical field we've had on give off a very similar persona. And I'm curious, you know, in those intense situations where it's an emergency room and there's there's very high stakes on the line. You probably have to find a way to do that. But where do you find that uh, within yourself? Like how, how how have you found the ability to just say, uh, I got to take it slow and one step at a time? I think it comes from your background and training. So, you know, if if you never had to run a cardiac arrest for of a child uh, in front of your eyes and you w- went into that room, you're going to be terrified, right? I mean, that's natural. But medical school's four years and residency's three years, fellowship's three years. So by the time you're done with that, that's 10 years of experience and graduated responsibility where you're slowly getting in charge. And, and I can remember, I have very vivid memories during my fellowship in Chicago. So in Chicago is important in this statement where one of the key aspects of, of the resuscitation often is putting a breathing tube in a child's throat. And you have to stand at the head of the bed and use this instrument called a laryngoscope. You put it in the child's mouth and you're trying to put this tube in and you've got to get it through the vocal cords. And the vocal cords are up high and the esophagus is down low, but it's it's not that easy sometimes when there's vomit and fluids and, and it's a tense situation in a high stress room. So I would visually think of myself mentally that I'm standing at the free throw line and I am Michael Jordan shooting the free throw because that's what it felt like in my head. There's a lot of noise in the room, a lot of chaos. 
It's up to me to get this procedure done. I have to execute on it and I have to remain calm to do it. And I have to block out everything else around me. So for me, it's been a lot of um, mental simulation. I, I remember going to Starbucks before I started my shifts and ran codes in my mind. What would I do if a child came in from a gunshot wound? What would I do if they came in from an allergic reaction? And how would I manage that room? I also had good role models. I got to see that, that again, if you as the leader are panicked, then the team is gonna panic. And if you stay calm and, and you lower your voice and you don't yell and you make the environment quiet and you make it safe, the team performs well. So I think it's just from training and, and perhaps I never really thought about it, but perhaps the training of being an ER physician crosses over into management as well. What other initiatives do you have going on right now? What are you excited about that you guys are working on? Oh, I am. So, you know, honestly, Nationwide Children's Hospital is special. And, and I'm sure, you know, you, you may not realize it if you live in Columbus and this is your children's hospital and this mm -hmm. is all you know. But I've been to many children's hospitals and I wasn't really looking to leave my last one. And I came here and I was blown away by Nationwide Children's Hospital. And, and what I mean by that is, boy, there aren't many children's hospitals that choose to build an entire behavioral health hospital. And we have the Big Lots Behavioral Health Pavilion. That's a freestanding pediatric behavioral health psychiatric hospital. That doesn't exist in every city. And, and that hospital is not going to make money. That, that was done because it was the right thing to do for children. It's because there's a need to take care of behavioral health for children in Columbus and central Ohio. So when I saw things like that, it reinforced, wow, this is a special place and I wanna be here. Other things that are special. We have an initiative called Pediatric Vital Signs where we're focused on improving the health and well-being for children outside of the hospital, across Franklin County and beyond. And things like reducing infant mortality, reducing the disparity. We have black children who die at a much higher rate as infants. Black children do not get to the age of one nearly as successfully as white children. That's a health equity issue. We've got to fix that. So we're partnering with people across the city to do that. Reducing suicide rates, improving kindergarten readiness, improving high school graduation rates, reducing teen pregnancy rates, reducing childhood mortality, all outside the hospital and in Franklin County. So you know, Nationwide Children's in partnership with many other people we're focused on the health and well-being of all children across Franklin County, which is something most children's hospitals do not do. We have our uh, accountable care organization is called Partners for Kids. We have approximately 450,000 lives that we're responsible for from a health status standpoint, all the way out to Dayton, all the way down to the southeast portions of Columbus, Ohio, uh, southeast portions of Ohio. You do not see children's hospitals responsible for almost a half a million lives and focused on how we can provide the best care for them. So those types of initiatives are really remarkable, revolutionary, groundbreaking, leading, and that's what attracted me to being here. Within the walls of the hospital, we're beginning to focus very seriously on, I talk a lot about safety. I wanna talk a lot, of, a lot about clinical outcomes. So what else is there besides safety? Well, how do, we, how do we make sure we have the best heart transplant survival rate? What's our survival rate from leukemia? 
What about our um, uh, post-op rate for bleeding after you have your tonsils out? These are outcome measures. So I want to help define those measures with other physician leaders, demonstrate that we're doing quite well, and where we're not, work on improvement. And the way we're going to work on improvement is we should define the way care is delivered. If you show up to the emergency department with possible appendicitis, there should be a very clear pathway for what imaging you're going to have, what lab work we're going to obtain, and what antibiotics you're going to get if you need them. We have to do that for 80 to 100 different diseases across the spectrum, both in the emergency department, in primary care, when you're hospitalized. I would call it like the NCH, Nationwide Children's Way. There should be a way that we deliver care. It should be clearly defined. We should measure how well we adhere to it. And we should study and measure the outcomes we achieve from that. And we should excel. We know we're great at safety. We're also great at outcomes. But we're going to focus heavily on outcomes and how we can improve those. And then finally, probably two more things that are really exciting. The health equity work is important. I mean, we, we, we know we have healthcare disparities. At Nationwide Children's, we have an initiative, which is quite large, called Stand Against Racism, Stand for Health Equity. That's imperative that didn't exist you know, prior to 2020. And I think it's time, the time is right. We're well positioned to do it. We've got a great culture. We know what needs to get done. So it is uh, empowering and exciting to know that I'm at an organization that's committed to uh, addressing health equity and standing against racism. So those are the things that when I interviewed that came out and said, wow, this place is special. So this is this is a gem for Columbus and, and it's not just a children's hospital. What about uh, personal goals or initiatives outside of your work at the hospital and, and at the Ohio State University? I don't know that I have personal goals and initiatives. I'm married, I've got two boys. Mm -hmm. I guess my personal goal would be to get them to graduate high school and do something that they wanna do and eventually get off my payroll. You know, it, it got to, you know, your, your live uncomfortably. And I've been thinking about that for months. I like to run, um, that's my, my personal time away from work. And, and I find that to be mentally and physically challenging. So, so for me, whether it's, you know, yesterday I was thinking about this, knowing I was coming here, I got home yesterday from work. I was tired, it was a long day and I just wanted to sit and rest and do nothing, but, I, but it was beautiful outside and I couldn't resist the opportunity to get out there and run. But it takes that mental energy to put on the clothes and get out there and get moving, knowing that it's not easier and you could do something else. And then the pain, the physical and mental pain of while you're doing it, but the reward of having accomplished it. So, you know, for me, that's my time outside of work. What I really enjoy besides family is, is just staying healthy and physically fit and challenging myself mentally and physically by running. You might've beat us to the punch on this one, but uh, maybe a good place to, to wrap up with that last question of the show. So what does live uncomfortably mean to you? I think for me, it, it means just expanding your horizons and taking on things that are difficult, challenging, both either mentally or physically outside of your comfort zone and pushing yourself to grow in different ways. Well, Rustin, it's been great talking with you. We really appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us, talk about the Children's Hospital and everything you guys have going on. I appreciate it, Mike and Josh. Pleasure. Everybody out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did and you want to hear more interviews just like it, Go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you listen on. You'll get episodes just like this every week. We don't miss. Josh and I, we, I don't think we've missed even on Christmas and New Year's. So once a week, every week, you'll get a cool story about somebody from Columbus right in your ears. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.